If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to John chapter 12 and find verse 20. There are two worlds. There's the physical world and the visible world that we live in every day. What we can see, what we can hear, what we can smell, taste, or touch. With our soul, we communicate and interact with our body and our soul in this physical world. And sometimes it's hard to look beyond the physical into a world that is greater. It's called the spiritual world. To have eyes to see beyond what we can see. The Bible warns having eyes they did not see and ears they did not hear. So the glory of being able to glimpse into the spiritual world with our spiritual eyes. Paul said, we look look not at the things that are seen. We look at the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are are, are, are temporary and visible. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Today, I, I want us to ask the Holy Spirit to let us look into the spiritual world. And let us see Jesus in a new and wonderful way. In John chapter 12, verse 20, you have a very interesting encounter. A group of people come to Philip and they ask Philip an unusual question. In John chapter 12, verse 20, I want you to listen to what it says. Now, now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. These were not a part of the inner circle. They were not a part of the Jewish race. These were Greeks. But they came up to the feast. And, uh, and they came to worship. This is interesting. At the feast. Then they came to Philip who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and and turned Andrew, and Philip told Jesus. Here were people who were non-Jews. Jesus came first to the Jews, who'd come up to the feast to worship, but they came for one reason. They came to see Jesus. Would it not be very appropriate that every time we gather in a place of worship, whether it's in a small group or a large group, that the passion of our heart would be, oh, Father, I want to see Jesus. I just want to see him in his sinless life, in his sacrificial death, in his glorious resurrection from the dead. Father, I would see Jesus. Jesus. You know, there's no book in all the Bible who gives us a greater picture of who Jesus is in the Gospel of John. But somebody asked the question, what is the Christian life all about? 
What is the Christian gospel all about? And the answer is Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's not about tradition. It's not about ceremony. It's not about rites. It's not about rituals. It's not about buildings. It's not. Let me tell you what the Christian gospel is and the Christian life is. Sir, we would see Jesus. It is all about Jesus. You know, but the Father said to us in the book of Ephesians that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Think about that. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. Christianity is Jesus. The church is all about Jesus. It says in Colossians chapter 2, it says, don't let anybody get you off track. Don't be spoiled by the philosophies of men. Don't be spoiled by the traditions of men. Let nothing move you from Jesus because, listen to what it says, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. Today, I want you to understand that it's all about Jesus, really, about knowing him, loving him, following him, serving him, praising him, letting him be your life. And today, I just somehow sense in my spirit, Lord, we would, we would see Jesus in a new and wonderful way. You know, in the Gospel of John, there, there's probably the greatest picture of the, of the deity of Jesus in all the Gospels. But also, it's a revelation, stay with me, of the total sufficiency of Jesus for life. Now, it's interesting, if you go back in the Old Testament... When God told Moses to go down to Egypt and to tell Pharaoh to let his people go. And when he spoke to the uh, Israelites, they're going to say, well, who sent you? He said, now you tell the Israelites and you tell Pharaoh that I am that I am. That's my name. And the word Jehovah is I am. And he said, tell them that I am that I am sent you. If you'll stop and think about it, of all the names that could be given to God, there's none any better. He didn't say, I was what I was. He didn't say, I will be what I will be. He says, I've always been. There's no such thing as the past for God, for he is eternal. There's no such thing as the future for God, for he is eternal. So how could the way God describe himself? Only one way. I am that I am. Well, over in John, the Jews were questioning Jesus and said, he talked about his life and he said, they said, but what about our father Abraham? They said to Jesus, well, what about our father Abraham? And then Jesus said it, he said, before Abraham was, I am. Oh, that startled the Jews because, brother, when he said, before Abraham was, I am, he was talking about his eternal existence. 
And did you know that 10 times, 10 times in the gospel of John, Jesus said, I am. He said, I am. I am. 10 different times. And you know, as you study those, you, you, you begin to see Jesus in a new and a wonderful, wonderful way. By the way, in the book of Revelation, in describing himself to John on the Isle of Patmos, you remember what he said? I am the Alpha, the beginning, and the Omega, the beginning and the end. What was he saying? I am. I am. He said also in the, in, in, in the Gospel of John, I mean in the book of Revelation, the first chapter, he said, I am the first and the last. And so we've got to understand, if we would see Jesus, let's see him in light of the ten I am's that he told about himself in the Gospel of John. Here's the first thing that you see, and we're going to look at those ten. Here's the first thing that you see in John, in the I am's that Jesus said, you see Jesus as the only way to have a relationship with God. It's very, very clear that Jesus in saying I am was saying, he gives you a picture and we see Jesus as the only way to have a relationship with God. All right, John 14, 6, if you want to turn. All the I am's are in the gospel of John. Okay, do we see Jesus as the only way to have a relationship with God? Well, what does John 14, 6 say? Jesus said, I am. Now underscore that. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Now get this, no man comes to the Father except through me. Now you know, there are some things in the Bible that are hard to understand. But there's one thing for sure, that's not hard to understand. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Nobody, nobody comes to the Father except through me. And we'll see later in, in his I am's why he's the only way to come. But li listen to what else he said. He not only said, I am the way, but he said, I am the door. If you, if you look in John 10, I believe it is, verses 14 through 17, uh, li listen to what he says. No, John 10, verse 9, where he says, I am the door. Look at what he says. I am the door. Now I'm saying that we've got to see Jesus as the only way to have a relationship with God. He said, I'm the way. Then he goes on and says in verse 9 of John 10, I am the door. If anyone enters in by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief, he's talking about the devil, comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and might have it more abundantly. So Jesus said, listen, we've got to see Jesus not only as the way, but we've got to see him as the door. 
the door to a personal relationship with the Father, but also the door to abundant life. Because he said in verse 10, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Listen, what is Christianity all about? What is the greatest need of every Christian? What is the greatest need of every church? To see Jesus. To be focused on and with our spiritual eyes to behold Jesus Christ as our complete and total sufficiency. And in John, you see Jesus as the only way to have a relationship with God. He said, I'm the way. He said, I know what a door is. You go in through it or come out through it. And he said, you go in and you be saved. But then look at the third thing he said about him being the only way. He said, I'm the good shepherd. Look in John 10, 11. He said, now we're looking at the I am's. I am the way, I am the door. Now, he says, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep. Go back to verse 11. I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd gets this now. This is the way to God. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Oh, I'm the way. No man comes to the Father but by me. He said, I am the door. All that ever came before me were thieves and robbers. But I am the door. If you enter in through me, you will be saved. But then he went on and said, now let me tell you why I'm the only way to have a relationship with the Father. Because he said in John 10, 10, I'm the, uh, John 10, 11, I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd let, gives his life for the sheep. Now, I want you to look over, and it says in verse, uh, uh, look at verse 14, and let's go forward, about Jesus being the good shepherd and giving his life for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and I'm known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father. Now, underscore this. I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, he said, I give my life for the sheep. And now he goes on and says, as the good shepherd, I lay down my life for the sheep. And then look at what he says in verse 17. The father loves me because I lay down my life for the sheep that I may take it again. And verse 18, no one takes it from me. You say, but brother Fred, the Romans, Judas betrayed him and the Jews tried him and turned him over to the Romans and the Romans killed him. That's historically true. But you know and I know that Judas could not have laid a finger on Jesus. The Jews could not have laid a finger on Jesus. The Roman soldiers could not have laid a hand on Jesus unless Jesus knew it was the Father's will because he said, listen, when Peter tried to save him, you know, by cutting off the high priest here, he said, let me tell you one thing about this. They couldn't touch me unless it was God's will. He said, I could call 10,000 angels and they would come and set me free. He said, no man takes my life from me. I give it up. Now listen, this is the way we've got to see Jesus. We've got to see him as the only way to have a relationship with the God who created us. He said, I'm the way. I'm the door, 
and I'm the good shepherd. And I laid down my life for the sheep. Now, you know, I'm telling you, you can talk about God all you want to. In most public, you know, if you talk about God in a generic way, that there's a lot of places you can do that. And people, you know, they can live with that. But I'll tell you what will get you uh, crucified. I'll tell you what will you'll get you persecuted. I'll tell you what will get you isolated. When you say, but you know, there's only one way to know God. There's only one way to get to God. There's only one way to have your sins forgiven. There's only one way to become a new creation. There's only one way to have the assurance of an eternity in heaven. Did you know the only way? To a relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. Oh, everything changes then. And they start saying, well, what about this? And what about that? I've heard all the excuses. Well, but that can't be. That can't be. But what about the people that have never heard? And what about a, a good Jewish person? Or what about a good moral person? Let me tell you something. If being good could save you, and could get you a relationship with God, Jesus would have been a fool to die on the cross. But since he knew that the wrath of God had to be satisfied, and the wrath of God had to be uh, completely accepted, Jesus Christ laid down his life as the good shepherd. And he's the only way to God because he died on the cross for your sins. He died on the cross for my sins. He took our place. He took our place. You see, the wages of sin is death. Your sins and iniquities have separated from you and your God. And there was a big barrier between us and the God who created us. When God created Adam and Eve, they were one. But then when Adam and Eve sinned, they were separated. And there was a great chasm between holy God and sinful man. But Jesus came and died on the cross, and he bridged that gap. And because he is the good shepherd, the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep, therefore, we can have a relationship with God. But only through Christ, only through the cross. You say, but Brother Fred, that is so narrow. I know it's narrow. The Bible says narrow is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life. And few there be that find it. But broad is the way and broad is the gate that lead to destruction. And many there go, there go in, there, that's where they go in. Let me say one thing. I never have said it wasn't narrow. But I didn't write the Bible. And I didn't initiate, it was not my plan of salvation. It was God's plan of salvation. And if you have an argument about it and you have a dispute, I, 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 I advise you to take it up with God. Because he's the one. He's the one that said there's only one way throughout his book. You know, the early church knew that. In the book of Acts, Peter said, neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You see, this, 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 this pluralism, you see, what has destroyed basically the major denominations in this nation 
is universalism. It's subtle because they think by being tolerant, they say, well, you know, you know, it's the main thing is just be sincere. Just be sincere. And all roads will lead to heaven. Well, if that's what the Bible said, I wouldn't have any problem with that. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that sincerity can cause you to, to, to be, spend eternity without Christ. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to man. But the end thereof is the way of death. Oh, it seems right. He's sincere. But the word of God says there's a way that seems right to man. But the end thereof is the way of death. You say, Brother Fred, you know, I'll be honest. That, that really puts a great responsibility on the body of Christ. Yes. That's why Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, every creature, to give every person an opportunity to respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. We would see Jesus, but we would see him as the only way to have a relationship with God. I am the way. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. I love the passage over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. God was in Christ. Now get this. This is the word of God. God was in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5. Reconciling the world to himself. And has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. And then he says in that same fifth chapter. Now get this. Chapter 5 verse 20 or 21. He says. He made him to be sin for us. Who knew no sin. In other words, he took our sin and placed it on Jesus. He made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The, the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news. Is that as sinners that we are, as wicked as we are, that Jesus Christ paid it all. He took our place. And as the I am, he is the only way to have a relationship with God. But also, here's another thing that's very important. And you see this in the I am's. He's not only the way to have a relationship with God, but he's the only way to have daily fellowship with God. Now, it's one thing to have a relationship. Okay, two people get married. All right, they get married, and they establish a relationship. And that relationship is certified, certified by that marriage license. And that marriage license says these two people have legally entered into a relationship, right? Okay. So they get married, and as they leave the church, so the, hus- the husband looks at the wife, and the wife looks at the Well, it's certainly good to have a relationship, and I hope to see you about once a week on Sunday. That's, that's not what it's all about. It's more to it than a relation, than having a relationship. It's all about having fellowship. And I guarantee you when a man and woman get married, they don't want to see each other once a week. Man, they want to sleep together, get up, meet breakfast together, and do things together, and enjoy life together, and they build a life together. And the most important thing as that husband and wife is to have fellowship with each other. 
Well, you know, Jesus is not only the I am. We've got to see Jesus as the only way to have a relationship with the Father. But we've got to see him as the only way to have fellowship with the Father. Let me show you something that's great. Turn to John 6, 35. There are two things that are necessary for life. Bread and water, okay? I mean, you, bread can re- represent food, nourishment for your body. And you can't live without bread, okay? And then you can't live without water. So Jesus was saying, now, let me tell you, I am necessary for your daily life every day. I'm necessary. So he says in John chapter 6, verse 35, listen to what he says. Of all the things, he says in John 6, 35, he says, we'll go back to verse 3. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Wow. Jesus said, the true bread of God, and he, he said, it's me, is the one that comes and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us, said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And listen to what he said. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst. You know what that is? That's a picture to me of a daily intimacy and fellowship with Jesus. You've got to have bread to live. You've got to have water to live. And you don't have bread. At, you know, it's a necessity for everyday life. And so, you know, the way to have uh, daily fellowship with Jesus is just to let him to be the bread of life in your life. And you just partake of him in all of his fullness every day. We'll turn over to John 7, 37. And he not only said, I'm the bread of life, but it says over in uh, John 7, 37, he said, listen, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried saying, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. For he believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the Spirit, that those who believing him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. I want to thank God this morning. I just want to thank him that I have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I've repented of my sins, and I continue to repent. And I'm trusting Jesus and Jesus only. I'm not trusting in my good works. I wouldn't trust the best five minutes of my life to get me into heaven, not much less the worst five minutes of my life. And I realize that salvation is only in Jesus and Jesus alone. There's not one thing in me that deserves heaven, not one thing. And so you and I can say, praise God through the cross, through the blood of Christ. We have a relationship with God. But let me go on and say this. We got to live in this world. And this is not an easy place to live. There's the world, the flesh, and the devil. And if we're going to live in this world, we can't only have a relationship with God. We got to have fellowship with God. And He's got to be the bread of life.
I am the bread of life. And he's got to be to us the water of life. He said, if any man comes to me and partakes of me, he will not hunger, nor will he thirst. I want to ask you something. How's your fellowship with Christ? How is it? On a day-by-day basis, you just say hello to him once a week and then gather back again? Or is it every day, hey, he's, he's the bread of life. He is my life. He's the water of life. He is my life. You see, Jesus is the, we've got to see Jesus as the only way to have daily fellowship with God. But here's the third thing. We see Jesus as the only way to have a relationship with God. We see Jesus as the only way to have fellowship with God. But thirdly, we see Jesus as the only way of eternal life. Now turn to John 11. And here's some great verses. And by the way, uh, I mentioned when I prayed, there was a man named Mike Pauley. Mike was 56 years old. And about 20 minutes into the service every Sunday, he'd come in that door right there, come right down there, and come right down there and sit. Any of y'all ever remember him coming, he's a big, tall guy? I know you do. Well, Monday night, he died instantly, just like that. Went to put his little boy to bed and died. You know, I, I had the privilege of getting to meet Mike back about 20 years ago. He was from up north. He had no background. And man, then he got saved. He got saved. And he always had a hunger for God. He never lost it. Oh, he had many trials and tribulations and went through a lot of difficulties in his life. But, but, but he never lost his hunger for God, never. And so, you know, when I do his memorial service at the, the mausoleum on Wednesday at 1 o'clock, you know, I can say, let me tell you about Mike. Had a lot of struggles, had a lot of trials, had a lot of heartache. But let me tell you about him. He knew Jesus as the resurrection and the life. And because he knew Jesus as the resurrection and the life, he now is participating in that. And boy, there's that great passage in John 11, man, that really encourages us. Because we can see Jesus not only as the only way to have a relationship with God, And we can see Jesus not only as the only way to have fellowship with God, but we can see Jesus as the only way of eternal life here and now. John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. I I love this. It's one of our great, Lazarus had died. He had died, you know, and uh, Martha, his sister, was all concerned about it. And we read in John 11, verse 23. Now listen carefully. Jesus said, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I I know, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now listen to this. Listen for the words I am. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Death has lost its sting. And when I come out of that grave on the third day, it will have lost forever its power. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. 
Oh, you might physically cease to exist, but spiritually you just keep on living for eternity. And, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. I says, do you believe this? And she said, yes, Lord, I believe you're the Christ, the Son of God. You know, we would see Jesus. That's what the Greek said. We would see Jesus. Seems like the religious world wants to chase every rabbit and go down every road. And they want to major on the minors. But I want to ask you a question. Why isn't our focus on Jesus? Why aren't we always looking to him for life here and now? Oh, the trick, trick of the enemy is this, that, and the other, but anything but Jesus. But I'm telling you, he is the I am. You know, there's one last thing. We have to see Jesus as the source of our life every day. Now, I talked about that he is the source of our fellowship day by day. But this is going a little beyond that. We have to see him as the source, the power, the strength of our life every day. All right, turn to John 15. And here you see one of the most important I am's in all of, of uh, the Gospel of John. And, 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 and we can relate to this. If you grow any kind of vegetables or tomatoes or anything, uh, it's a, you, you can understand about a vine and a branch. You don't have to be a great farmer to understand that. All right. In John 15, I want you to look for this I am. It says, I'm the true vine. My father's the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruits, he prunes it, that it may bear more fruit. He says, you're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Now listen to what he says. Abide in me. Now you can't abide in somebody that's dead. He's the living Christ. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you. Listen, you take a branch out of a vine, it's not going to have any fruit. And he said, unless you're abiding in me, you're not going to have any fruit. And then he said, listen at verse 5. I am. He said, I am the vine. All life flows through me. I'm the vine. Hey, you're the branches. You're the branches. I am the vine. You're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and withered. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. You know, here, here it is. Here it is. The source of life. We've got to see Jesus as a source of life. And he says to me when I get up on Monday or Tuesday, he says, now, I'm the vine, okay? All the life is in me. But you know, you're a branch. And my life as the vine just flows into you as the branch. He said, now, you've got to remember something. A branch can't bear fruit unless it's in the vine. And he said, unless you are abiding in me, you're not either. He says, for without me, you can do nothing. 
Well, that, that's, you know, that's a, just a simple statement. But people struggle and strive and strive and struggle to be right with God and strive and struggle to do things for God. And let me just say one thing. He said, listen, it's just you letting me be your life. There's that verse that says, I can do all things through Christ, who is my strength. And so we've got to see Jesus as the source of our life every day. He's the vine and we're the branch. And we just abide in him. That means we surrender to him. That means we trust in him. That means we rely on him. That means we cling to him. That means that by his power we obey him. I mean, we are abiding in him. And we see Jesus as our life. We trust him. We rely on him. We cling to him. We depend on him. We look to him moment by moment of the day. You know, to abide means to continue to trust in him and to rely on him. Let, let me close by saying this. And, and, you know, you just got to think about this. I think there are three, um, I don't know how to say it, but three truths that are part of abiding. One. We have to live before the Lord every day with a spirit of brokenness. I'm going to tell you what I mean by that. We have to have an attitude of brokenness. And then secondly, we have to have an attitude, not only of brokenness, but an attitude of repentance. And see, that with the brokenness and the repentance, that's the key. And then there's the attitude of yielded, yieldedness. Now, what does it mean to have a, the Bible says a broken and a contrite heart, God will not despise. You say, Brother Fred, I want to see Jesus as a source of my life. I want to abide in him. Okay, what does it mean to be broken? It means that you realize that in you, that is in your flesh, dwells no good thing. That you have nothing to offer God but an empty vessel. Now, that, that, you know what that does? That absolutely wipes out pride. But, Brother Fred, I offer God my good personality, or I offer God my talents. Let me say, where did you get that personality, and where did you get? They're all a gift from God, and all you do is recognize that anything in you that's good is from God. And so brokenness is realizing that there's no good in you. You have nothing to offer God except what God has given you. So you, there's no room for pride. There's no room for boasting. There's no room for glorying in man. There's an attitude of brokenness. It's just brokenness. Lord, I, in my flesh dwells no good thing. The good I want to do, I don't do. The evil I don't want to do, sometimes I do. But secondly, there's an attitude of repentance. You say, well, I want you to know I repented of my sins when I got saved. I confessed to God that I was wicked. I confessed to God that I was a sinner. I confessed to God that my sin separated me from him. And I knew that he was the only substitute for my sin. And apart from his shed blood, there was no forgiveness. So I repented of my sin and I came to Christ and turned my life over to him. Good. But you know what? There's an attitude of repentance every day. You say, Brother Fred, how often do you repent? Every day. I repent of a thought I shouldn't have received. That means I confess it and turn away from it. I repent of an attitude that I shouldn't have ha had. 
And I repent of a word that I shouldn't have spoken. Repentance is an attitude. And it's continuous. Just like brokenness. Father, I have nothing to offer you. But it's you completely. And God, I want you to know that I'm living in an attitude of repentance. You're right and I'm wrong. I won't argue about it. I won't debate it with you. You're right and I'm wrong. You live in an attitude of repentance. It's an attitude. And then the last thing is you live in an attitude of yieldedness. Just every day you yield your life to him. Every day. Listen, I know that's what pleases God. Brokenness, repentance, and yieldedness. The Bible says yield yourself to God as one who is alive from the dead. And all of your members as instruments of righteousness to God. You know, I'll tell you. Just go through the gospel of John and just see Jesus, see him as the I am and see him in all that he does and all that he says. And man, maybe you'll come out of there just saying, Lord, I've got, I've seen Jesus like I've never seen him before because the greatest need of the church is Jesus. Your greatest need is Jesus and that we would see him as a sufficiency of our life. Let's pray together. I read this little poem this week. Listen to it. We would see Jesus. This is all we're needing. Now listen to it carefully. We would see Jesus. This is all we're needing. Strength, joy, and willingness come with the sight. We would see Jesus dying, risen, and pleading. Then welcomes day and farewell mortal night. We would see Jesus. This is all we're needing. Strength, joy, and willingness come with the sight. We would see Jesus dying, risen, and pleading. Then welcome day and farewell mortal sight. Father, we pray that with our spiritual eyes that we will see Jesus.